Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor on behalf of my wife, Erica, and all of our staff and pastors. We're so glad that you're with us today, especially if you're here with us for the very first time. Maybe you're watching online for the first time or you're in here for the first time. We always invite our guests to come back at least three times. Everybody say three times. And here's why, as I know, when you go to a new place, you don't always get the best experience on the first experience. So my, my encouragement to you would be, come back, check us out a few times, and hopefully I'll be better next time. That's my promise. So uh, it'll be great. If you're watching online, we'd love for you to do us a few things. Um, and we're so glad. Number one, thank you for being here. Thank you for taking the time to check us out online. Will you do us a favor? Will you like, comment, or share? Maybe leave a review. We'd love to do that. That helps us get through some of the social media algorithms so that the message of Jesus is actually uh, put out there. Also, if you're sitting in here, take out your phone and uh, man, check check in on Facebook, let people know you're at church and they should be at church and, you know, give them a little bit of that Christian guilt that we love to pass around on Christmas. So it's just, I'm just kidding. So anyway, uh, we're so glad that you're with us today. We're starting a brand new series today called He Shall Be Called based on a passage of scripture in Isaiah chapter nine. And we're going to go there in just a minute. If you have your Bibles, Isaiah chapter nine, and we're going to look at the names of Jesus, really what Jesus was going to be called during the holiday or Christmas season. And so before we get to Isaiah, I want to give you some context uh, before we get there. And uh, I, I do this because sometimes when you read the Bible and you don't know where you're at or you don't know what's being taught, it's harder to comprehend what's going on. And so I want to give you context or the ability to see what's happened before or after or why this verse is even in the Bible. Now, Isaiah is, uh, is a book in the Old Testament. It's actually written after a prophet in the Bible. And he was a prophet during the latter half of really what they call Israel's reign or Israel's kingdom. David has already come and he's already been a part of things and, and started kind of establishing kingdom of Israel. And, and what happens is, uh, uh, Isaiah is a prophet that starts to preach judgment against the kingdom of Israel at that time. And what he was saying is, is you have two main problems, Israel. You have a problem with idols, which, hello, that's that's a thing today. By the way, it doesn't need to be a golden statue. Some of us have idols that we worship all the time. It's anything that you love more than you love God. And so he says you have a problem with idols. And the second thing is, is you have a problem with, with, with oppressing people. He said you have a problem, Israel. You don't seem to value people like I value people. I care about people. You don't care about people. And that's a problem. So Isaiah starts to preach judgment against them. And he says, listen, this is what's going to happen is God, God's going to allow kingdoms, which is like the Babylon, Babylonian kingdom, the Assyrian kingdom. We're going to allow those kingdoms to come in and take you out. And he gives imagery like a tree being cut off the stump being left there and then the stump being burned. And he gives an idea that Israel is going to look like that in, in, in just a little bit because you have a problem with idols and oppressing other people. And he says this, he says in the midst of the judgment, he gives a message of hope and he starts to tell about a coming Messiah, a coming Christ, who's going to come and come from the lineage of that burnt stump, which is the destroyed kingdom of Israel, which is going to be from the line of David, who he's talking about. The coming Christ is going to come from that stump and actually going to bring about a new Jerusalem. And so he says, listen, the kingdom of Israel is going to be destroyed. God's going to let it happen because y'all are crazy. And he says, when this king comes, he's going to establish a new Jerusalem where people will actually be uh, treated right and God will be elevated higher than anything else. He's talking, the coming king and Messiah, you guessed it, he's talking about Jesus. So Isaiah chapter 9 is a description of the coming Messiah, the coming Christ who's going to come and establish the new kingdom of Jerusalem. Everybody got that? 
So isn't that kind of cool? Like some of y'all probably never even heard that. You're like, I heard that verse before and I saw it on a Christian bumper sticker and Facebook posted that somewhere. And now I know where that comes from. So now you know where it comes from. We're going to read it today. His four descriptions of Jesus. And he writes in uh, chapter nine, verse six, he says, for us, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. There's the title of our sermon series. He said, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. With that as our backdrop, let's pray. Father, I thank you, God. Today, you have a message for us. No doubt, I've created notes, and I have a message, but, but I know this, that Every weekend, Holy Spirit, you take those message notes and you make them applicable to the people. And I pray that you would do the same today. Lord, I pray that as we look through the Christmas holiday season, that we would remember your names that you gave Jesus. And that ultimately the names of Jesus could be the names of Jesus in our life. And I pray that today, Lord, we would get something in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. How many of y'all have kids in here or online watching? Raise your hand if you have kids. Y'all have kids. You know, one of the things that you do when you have children, I have, um, I have five, and uh, the, the, one of the things that you do when you have children is you name your children. Um, you name them. That's kind of the biggest, one of the biggest responsibilities as parents is you want to name them something. And um, I, I remember that when my wife and I set out to create a family, we realized, you know, we always wanted, uh, you know, we kind of had different ideas of what we wanted to have in, in a family. I don't know if you ever had that conversation with your wife or your husband, but I wanted like 18 kids and my wife wanted like three. And uh, she wanted, um, she wanted a baby girl and a baby boy. You know, we wanted like, we wanted to have the, the kind of the quintessential family. And uh, so we started started to have kids and, and, and we, we, we created a name. Uh, we named our little girl before we got her. Anybody ever do that? You know, you kind of have some names in the pocket and we named our little girl. Uh, we, you want to know what the name was that, uh, that we named her? She, her name was going to be Abigail. That's what her name was. Everybody say, ah, yeah. All the girls wanted, ladies wanted to say, ah, so yeah, Abigail, we got a little Abby. And so, uh, she's going to be just a beautiful little, just, you know, spitting image of her mom, a little cute little Mexican thing with hair and all that just going to be powerful. And so we were excited to have a little girl and then, and uh, we, we, she got pregnant, and we realized uh, halfway through the pregnancy that she was, she was not going to have a girl. She was going to have a boy. And not only that she wasn't going to have a boy, she was going to have two of them. So we had twins right away. And uh, we got surprised. It was like, surprise, you know, happy birthday, Aaron. You got two. So I was an instant father of two. I don't know what it's like to have one. I heard it's powerful. So we, uh, we, we had two right away. We had two boys. So, okay, maybe we're going to save the, the, the girl name for our next kid. So Titus comes next. And uh, we realized halfway through the, the, the pregnancy, uh, the, the doctor actually tells us, he says, she, he's going to be a girl. He's going to be a girl. He's a girl. She's a girl. That, that baby's a girl. He's going to grow. So we're like excited. Abby's coming. Abby's coming. Baby comes out. He's a boy. Named him Titus. And we realized at that point we needed to name him something, you know, because I picked Riley and Kellen for the first one. So did I pick them, babe? Was that my name? I think I picked it. She let me pick the names. And I picked Riley and Kellen. And you would ask me right now, why did you name them Riley and Kellen? I I have no idea. I think I thought it was cool. Something weird like that. So I felt like the third kid that comes, we'd go to my pastor. I said, Pastor, how do you, you think I should name a kid? He said, well, listen, you know, you probably should pray about it and, you know, maybe look at some definitions of the names, you know, what they could be. And, and you know, that's what we do now. How many of y'all remember before Internet, there was baby books, like the big name baby book? Anybody use, did anybody in here willing to admit right now you name someone from a baby book? Raise your hand. Anybody? We got one, two, three. We got baby books. Right Now you don't do that. You do that online. You go to the, you know, the, the definitions and you look at like the names and the ratings and 
Now you can find out the popularity. And how do they do the popularity? Like, I wonder how they do that. And so they, uh, they do the popularity. But so, so I went and I went to the Bible. And I was like, I want my son to be Bible name. So we named him Titus. Like, that sounds like a cool name, you know, like Titus. So I'm like, okay. And so the fourth kid, she gets pregnant again. We were like, okay, hey, we're going to get pregnant. This is it. This is the girl. And I remember thinking like this today. Now I'm, we're going to have a girl. Like, this is, this is going to be the girl. This is who it's going to be. We're like, yes, it's going to happen. He come out. It was not a girl. It was a boy. It was another boy. So I got four boys now. And I'm like, all right, so what are we going to name them? We went to the Bible again. We found Judah. I love the name Judah. Judah means praise, right? So we're like, praise. Thank God we're done having kids. That's what we wanted to have. Judah means praise. And so my wife, two years after that, decides to come to me. And she says the most scary things that any man can hear, any husband can hear in any parts of your family. Husbands, guys, you know what I'm talking about. Don't leave me hanging here. It's I want to have another one. She comes to me and says, I want to have another one. And I says, honey, are you sure about that? You realize we have four right now. Four. Not one, not two, not three, four. We're now playing zone defense. <laughs> right? You're just, at some point, it's just keep them alive. Right? That's what your family's like. And so um, she goes, no, honey, I feel like God wants me to have, a, we need to have another one. I said, well, I don't, my God didn't say that. So let me go, I'm going to have to go pray, and I'm going to go pray about it, and we'll figure it out. You know, we'll come back together. And turned out, okay, I felt like, all right, it's time to have another baby. And so we felt like the last one was going to be a girl. We felt like this is Abigail. This was our promised chosen child. So we felt like this was it. We prayed over there. I prayed over my wife. I anointed her belly of oil. I'm like praying in the spirit and I'm like sacrificing things. I'm fasting. I'm like, where's the cat? Let's sacrifice a cat on the altar. Let's find something crazy. I'm just like, uh, we're doing everything, right? Like I'm making sure she sleeps on a certain side. I'm making sure she eats certain foods. We're in the whole weird context. I've got, I went down the internet trap rabbit hole of how to have a girl, right? So we get told client close towards the end. She's like, do you want to find out the, the, the gender of the baby? I'm like, let's do it. I already know what it is, babe. I already know. I'm a pastor. I work for God. He's going to do what I want him to do. She comes back. She goes, it's a boy. I'm like, Abigail is no more. Because we, we shut it down after that. Because you know, we all know, at some point, we got to stop. And so the fifth one comes. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when you have multiple kids of the same gender, you need to realize like you run out of names quick. And so at that point, I stopped picking Bible names and I just picked a cool name online and we named him Winston. So that's his last one was named Winston. So if you see him, he's a little, you know, micro, my, he looks just like my wife, runs around, very, very opinionated. And so he's the one screaming. Anytime you hear a kid screaming from our eyes, kids, it's, it's Winston. It's not yours, I promise. And so, um, but what I realized in naming our children, when we were going through this, is that names are important. It's why you don't name your kid Judas, you know? Like, don't tell me kids' names aren't important. They're important. It's, you got to name them what you, you, you want them to be named. You want to have some meaning behind it. You want to have some, and even as much as we do back then, names really meant something. Names signified family lineage. It signified who they were going to be. It signified a lot of things of, like, it almost spoke, uh, like, them things into existence because what we call people typically determines what we get from them. Isn't that true? Like when we call people, we want to make sure that their name aligns up with who they're going to be. You got to make sure that your name doesn't mean something weird. And, you know, it's why you can change your name because you, some, some of you might need to do that because you're, you're, the definition or the meaning behind your name, it matters. And what I'll say this even more so, what you call Jesus matters. 
What, what Jesus, what we call Jesus determines what we even get from him. Because although Jesus' name is Jesus, he comes with a lot of different names and a lot of different titles and a lot of different roles. And, and what you call him will determine what you get from him. A few years back, there was this trend. And I don't know if it was in the world or just church. I, I don't really know most of the world like that, I guess, in, in the, the context of what this was. But there was a, a thing, and I think it came from a t-shirt where it says, Jesus is my homeboy. Did anybody ever see that? Jesus is my homeboy. And I'm not a hater. I, I get it. It was cool for some, some people and for areas of maybe evangelism or whatnot. But I always thought that was interesting. I said, so because the problem is, is it's not that it's, it's bad that Jesus is your homeboy. It, the, it, it, I think it gets into something complicated when he's only your homeboy. When he's only your friend. When he's only your Santa. When he's only your, your lifeguard. Come on, how many of y'all know that? Like you get into, the only time you talk to God is when you're in trouble. It's like you're drowning. You didn't talk to him all week long. Something happens. And you're like, hey, God, y'all better save, you better save me. I'm a Christian. We got a relationship. And I, sometimes I feel like God goes, really? We do? Well, I, didn't, I haven't talked to you since the last time you were drowning. And so what you, what you call him, what you make him in your life will determine, Right? What you get from him, somebody, it's kind of the same thing I talk about, about me calling a pastor. Somebody called me the other day. They, he asked me, say, Pastor, do I got to call you a pastor? Do I have to say, like, Pastor Aaron? Like, it's kind of, can I just call you Aaron? I said, listen, call me whatever you want. Call me whatever you want. He's like, oh, I thought you'd want to be called a pastor. I said, I don't need to be called a pastor. If you want my opinion, you need me to be called pastor in your life. And he goes, Why? Because I thought we could just be friends. I said, look, here's just in my reality. And just, just in, if I could just give you some insight. If you're asking me my opinion, it would seem a lot of people have a lot of friends. You don't seem to have a lot of pastors. I'm better at being a pastor, if I'm honest. Probably not that good of a friend. I'm better at pastoring people. I'm anointed, called, gifted. That's my role. That's not just my job. I feel like that's my calling to pastor people. I'm more than willing to be that to you if you want that from me. But I don't need to be called pastor to know I'm a pastor. I don't call, my kids don't need to call me dad for me to know I'm a dad. They call me dad so that they recognize that they can get from me what only dads can give to them. And so if you want me to be a pastor in your life, I would call me a pastor. If you don't, that's cool to me too. Whatever you want me to be in your life, I'll be. Does that make sense? And Jesus, in so many ways, is like that. Jesus will never force you. You don't need to call him your savior for him to know he's your savior. He's not confused by who he is. He knows who he is. He knows the power he holds. He knows where he sits in heaven. He's not confused. He does not have an identity problem. But some of us have an identity problem with God because we only make him our homeboy. We only make him our friend. If you want Jesus to be something, you have to establish him as that in your life. Does that make sense? So if that's true, right? If that's true, one of the names, we're going to walk through the names with Isaiah. Isaiah starts with the first one, which is wonderful, counselor. And can I just tell you, right now, maybe more times, more than any time in human history, people need Jesus right now as their wonderful counselor. People need that desperately. The, the, the Hebrew word there, wonderful, is, me, is, a, is pele. Means, it literally means this. It means like beyond understanding, too wonderful for words. So what Isaiah was saying is that Jesus wants to come and not just be little nine pound, eight ounce, sweet little baby Jesus in the manger. He wants to be your wonderful 
counselor, a counselor too good beyond words, the one that has five stars and all great reviews on Google. He wants to be that because you need that, and he knew you would need that, and he knew I would need that. In fact, if you look at every study right now sociologically, we are in a terrible mental health crisis, and that was before the pandemic. That was before. That was before we were put in some weird social experiment where we made everybody stay at home and talk to yourself. No one would ever say, hey, if you want to be healthy, you should stay at home, talk to no one. Watch nothing but news outlets that preach fear. Doesn't matter which one you watch. We're all afraid. Everything, something's happening. Someone's afraid of something, whether it's CNN or Fox News. You're all afraid. We're all afraid of something. You're afraid of the Democrats or you're afraid of the Republicans. We're all afraid. Then when you're done watching the news that you watch for 12 hours a day, then go onto your social media feed and scroll and scroll and scroll to see nothing but negative and then pretend like you're going to birth good things. It's not going to happen that you and I need a counselor. We need a counselor. Jesus even says that. I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. So just so you know, he's got a priority in his life to help those who sit, who are sick and who are not healthy. That is you. That is me. Thank God that this isn't a country club where Jesus just wants to hang around with the good people. Message to every good church out there right now. We're a hospital. He came for the sick. You and I need him desperately. So if that's true, I'm going to give you four thoughts as we wrap up. Four thoughts on counseling. And I'm going to, I'm going to bring them from my personal experience with counseling. I, I attend regular counseling every single month on a regular basis so that I stay healthy, so that I don't lose my mind, so that I can help lead our church and do the best I can, not be perfect. Come on, just be healthy. And if I could do that, share some thoughts just on counseling. And there'll be kind of thoughts that I get from my counselor and then maybe some thoughts from, from me as I counsel others. Okay, we'll do that so that, that Jesus could be your wonderful counselor this year. Number one is this, four thoughts on counseling. Number one is um, the more the counselor knows you, the better he can help. The more counselor knows you, the better they can help. I noticed that when I first started with my counselor, he didn't know me very well, and I didn't know him very well, and there was kind of like a wall. There's a little bit of a trust issue, right? And so I didn't share everything I needed to share. He didn't help me in the ways that he can help me. And the problem is with that is if I can't, if he doesn't know me well, and if I don't have a relationship established with him, then he can't really help me to the level that he's, he has the ability to. And the principle really here is, is here is that the deeper the relationship, the deeper the counselor can help. So if, 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 you're, if, you're, if you're looking to get help from God, you've you got to go deep with God. The shallower you are with your relationship with him, the, the worse he, the, you, you're limiting his power in your life. You're like, he's God. He can do anything. He is, but he, he's a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on you. So he's got to be welcomed in. He's got to be established in. You have to elevate and establish his relationship with you and your relationship with him. You got to gnosko, which is the Greek word there. No, you got to gnosko this guy that you got. God's got to be in your life at a level where you're so deep and so connected that he now knows your junk more than you know your junk. And you and he knows and you know him and, and, and you're able to get at a deep, super intimate level what so he can help you so that one day he, he he you can walk in 
ultimate relationship with him in heaven. There's a, a, a Jesus was teaching a, a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, one of the greatest sermons ever preached. And he teaches about the end of times when, when the Lord's going to be welcoming people into the kingdom. And he starts talking about the difference between true disciples and false disciples. And he recognizes that says that he, he says this eerie, it's an eerie scripture because he says there's going to be a lot of people who prophesy in my name and, and cast out demons, do, do miracles in my name. They say they're Christian. And then they're going to talk to me, and I'm going to say this weird thing. And this is going to be crazy. He says it in verse 23. He says, then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. He says, he says, I'm going to have this moment with people where they're going to think that they know me and I know them because they had the Christian bumper sticker, and they checked Christian on Facebook, and they went to church every weekend, and they have a Bible. They own a Bible. It's somewhere in their house. And they give once a year at Christmas time to the poor, and they really identify with the conservative Republican Party, and they really, really do everything that they think they really, really need to do. And he's going to walk to them, and he's going to say these weird, this should scare the daylights at all, y'all, because it does with me. I never knew you. You act like a, you, you tell people you're a Christian, but you don't act like it. You tell people you love everyone, but you only love people who are like you. There's no compassion in your voice. There's no grace in your lips. There's no love in your heart. But, but there's truth, Pastor. Grace and truth. Don't get it twisted. Jesus came with both. And I think sometimes we forget that if we're not careful, it's really hard to reflect a God you don't know. It's really, really hard to to talk about someone and be like someone if you don't know them. And, and you have to ask yourself this question, does God know me and do I know him? Number two is this, counseling. Uh, be brutally honest with the counselor. You got to be brutally honest with the counselor. I remember I was sitting with the counselor one time. I said, hey, like I'm going through this issue and, and, and I'm, I'm at home. And I said, I don't know if you guys are like this with me, but like I can't sit at home sometimes. Like I can't sit and do nothing. And so I'll work hard all week long, and I've earned the right to sit and not produce anything. So I'm not lazy. But I just sit, and I'll sit on the couch, and I can't sit for 30 seconds. I'll have to manufacture something to do. Anybody else have that, that like me, like have an issue where like, well, you can't sit still? Like, I can't sit still. I'm frustrated. And I'm like, and so when I can't sit still, I can't rest. And so, like, I can't rest, and then, then I want to. Then what's funny is I don't rest on the times where I can't rest. So then when I have to go back to work, I'm tired. And it, come on, anybody, right, suffer that with me. And so I told my counselor, I'm like, I'm rocking through this. And I start walking. I was like, listen, I can't rest. And I feel like I can't sit. And he said, will you stop? And I was like, you know, he's kind of one of those counselors that, like, scare you a little bit. I need somebody that kind of, like, scares me. He's like, would you stop? Why don't you just be honest? I'm like, I thought I, I, thought I was being honest. You know, I, I, he goes, well, no, be honest. You're addicted to adrenaline and work. That's where you find your worth. I'm like, no, uh You know, I start crying. <laughs> You're addicted. Um, but I was like, I was like, oh, man. He goes, just be honest. I go, I, I, I wasn't trying. He goes, no, he goes not, don't be honest with me. Be honest with yourself. So why don't you just be honest with yourself? Why don't you just tell the truth so that I can help you? The, the brutal honesty of people, brutal honesty will allow the counselor to help completely. 
So the more you're honest with yourself, Aaron, he goes, the better I can help you. Because you just start with being honest with yourself. Admit you have a problem, right? Is that what they, they tell you? You know, if you have a, an addiction issue or a problem with something, they said, first step is admitting you have a problem, right? He just wants you to admit it. You're addicted to work. There's a story that Jesus encounters with a Samaritan woman. Um, anytime you hear a descriptive word inside the Bible, you need to know it's there important. It's, it's important. It's there on a purpose. And the Samaritans were the hated people of the, the, the tribe of Israel, by the way. They were known as the betrayers of their country. So you should, just so you know, division like our country is not new. <laughs> what we're going through, I just want you all to know that. Like there's been tribe, tribalism is everywhere, and it's been around since the beginning of time. So everybody thinks their side is right. So the Israelites thought their side was right. Samaritans thought their side was right. Blue and red, it exists. It's always been around. And Jesus does something funny. He does something you're not supposed to do. He goes and talks to her. God forbid you talk to the other side of the aisle. And he talks to her. And not only talks to her, he actually gives her a position of elevation. Because when you talk to somebody in that culture, was like saying, I'm with them. It's like changing your status on Facebook. <gasps> and so he sits next to this woman. He starts talking to her. It's fascinating. He says, he starts teaching her about different ways to worship. And she starts asking him some questions. And Jesus does something funny. He goes, hey, go get your husband. And she's like, uh, what? And she goes, she goes well, I, I don't have a husband. He goes, yeah, I know. I know you don't have a husband. He says it. I'll show the verse. Says, Go call her. Here's my. She says, I have no husband. And and Jesus does something funny. He goes, "You're darn right. You don't have no husband." Uh, it's funny. Can I like Jesus? I always talk when people talk about Jesus. Talk about him with his flowing locks of brown, blonde hair, blue eyes, a big old robe and Birkenstocks, and like doves follow him around, and he's just like the nicest person all the time. Ain't you ever see like he's always carrying a lamb, holding the, the little children, you know? And they'd be like, Jesus is so nice. Like Jesus, like that sounds sarcastic to me. Anybody else? That sounds sarcastic to me. And Jesus goes, Yeah, you're right. You know that ain't your husband. He goes on to say, he goes, that ain't your husband. The last five people that you were, are with your husband and the one you're living with right now ain't your husband. <laughs> How you like them apples? And she's like, you must be a prophet. Like, duh. <laughs> it's like one of the funniest things. I would love to see this in a movie sometime. They need to do this in a movie because I would love to direct that scene. Because she's like, well, you must be a prophet. Well, yeah, of course you're sitting with, you're sit, you're sitting with and having a conversation with God. And you're not even being honest with him. And he, the reason he told her to be honest, he said, be honest with me. Be honest with me. I already know. Be honest with yourself. Because if you're just honest with yourself, then we can start getting to work. Yeah. Then we can actually help move you to the step that you need. Maybe it could be, it, it could be that her breakthrough could have come after just being brutally honest. And so somebody in here, uh, you know, you might think like, well, you know, you, you, we, we were so conditioned in our religion with God that we don't go to, come to him with our issues. We come to him with our religion. So whenever you talk to God, you think God's waiting for you to do a certain type of prayer. And so you could, your life could be in shambles and you start off with your relationship. You start off with a prayer to God. God, you're just great and uh, boweth, loveth you. Somewhere in scripture, I'm sure it says that. So I just want you, God, I just, everything's great. I just want you to know. And I think God's sometimes going like, what are you talking about? 
Why don't you be honest with my, your relationship? How many have ever prayed to God and he didn't answer your prayer? Anybody? Anybody other than me? Raise your hand if it's you. You're human. Welcome to the human race. Even after you said yes to God, he didn't answer your prayer? Come on. Hello. And you have this crisis of faith. Just so you know, that's not abnormal. That's normal. That's human. That's Christian. To have, a, to have doubts with God. You're no less a Christian. You're no less a pastor. You're no less a person of God. You're no less a, a follower of Jesus just because you struggle with your faith sometimes. God wants you to bring that to him. Be brutally honest with yourself. Some of you in here are struggling with relationships. You need to be brutally honest with God. God, I'm struggling with letting people in because every time I let someone in, they hurt me. And you need to bring that to God. Some of you need to struggle. You're struggling with church. Every time I come to church, someone in the church hurts me. Every time I give to, give, give to the church offering, right, something happens where I see it and it don't go to the right place it needs to go to. Every time I walk in church, they ask me for my money. Like every time, You need to be able to actually have a relationship with God where you have be brutally honest with him and yourself. So why? 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 So that the counselor can help you. Some of you right now, just heads, you're addicted to something and you need to be honest with yourself. Stop saying it's not a big deal. You drink too much. It is a big deal. You're doing the drug that you know you shouldn't be doing. It is a big deal. You watch TV too much. It is a big deal. You're addicted to social media. It is a big deal. Addictions, by definition, are idols. Because you go to them more than you ever go to God. And I'm not saying you need to read the Bible 25 times a day. That's not what I'm saying. Please don't misunderstand me. But wherever our time goes, you worship. You worship. Step three. You all don't like that one. We'll move on. Three. Uh, listen to what the counselor says. Listen to what the counselor says. This, this principle is powerful because I remember talking to my counselor and I'm like, hey, I'm going through an issue right now. And, uh, and you know, I got to be honest with you, like, I'm really struggling with it. And he stops. And he goes, stop. He likes to do that to me a lot. He says, stop. Um, what did I tell you last time about this issue? And I said, um, uh, what? <laughs> you know, like, uh, can we change the subject? He goes, no, no, no. What did I say last time you had, you had this issue? He wasn't asking me if I heard what he said. He asked me if I listened. He asked me if I was listening to a licensed, come on, accountable, biblical thought on my issue. Did you listen? Listening there, it's like, 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 did you listen and not just hear? The, the word listen in the, um, in the, in the Greek, when he, John, John chapter, in John chapter 10, Jesus actually mentions this. He said, my sheep know my voice. They listen to my voice. They, they hear what I'm, what I'm saying. Um, the reason he uses the word listen there is because he wants people to know that word, the Greek word there means, means to, to actually have comprehension to birth holy things. So he says, the whole point of listening is that you put a seed in your heart and in your spirit so that when, when, when time goes on, you water it and you, you, you cultivate it so that it births things that look like me. The problem is, is that you listen to the wrong things all the time. So I, I'm not saying it's bad to have the news outlet on all the time in the background, but if you, all you do is listen to that and you only come to church on Sunday and you listen on Wednesday and then you maybe read your Bible verse every once in a while, you, comparatively, you're listening to the wrong things more than you're listening to the right things. Well, you don't understand. It's the right, it's the right news channel. Okay. Okay. 
we can all agree that maybe, maybe scripture is probably a little wiser. Maybe a sermon from a Bible-based teacher is maybe better for your ears. Maybe, maybe a devotional is maybe a little more um, fruitful, could be a little more fruitful in your life. Maybe getting around and having an actual conversation with a human. I know that sounds crazy. Like, no, I do. I text somebody all the time. No, no, no. Do you remember what it was like when you went over? You had to go to someone's house to talk to them. Groundbreaking stuff. And again, I'm not an anti-technology guy. I love technology. I'm an early adopter and all that. But I am saying there's a, there's a, there's a power to it. Like, there's a power in talking to someone. Why? Because you're listening what you're listening to is going to birth something inside of your, your heart and your spirit. And if you're not careful, before you know it, you'll be somebody you didn't recognize. Um, maybe the best thing that we could teach ourselves is to hear the voice of God. Hear the voice of Daddy. I was uh, teaching my sons. We were, I was at a baseball game with my son, Titus. And I don't know if you've ever been to a Little League game, but like Little League baseball games, they have um, every parent is like a professional baseball player. And so they shout out to the kids, you know, when they're at the plate, the shout out, like they get right there and they get up and every parent says, and I'm like, so I'm like a pseudo assistant coach, you know, I'm not the coach and I'm not really assistant coach, but when I showed up, they didn't know what they were doing, so I had to take over the old operation. And so I walked in and so I'm like up there and I'm, so Titus walks up and I said, so my son gets up to the batting plate and they all start yelling at him, right? And they don't listen. I told them not to do it, but they don't listen. Everybody's screaming at him, telling him what to do. I said, son, bend your knees bent his knees. Hey, lift, lift your elbow. Get that elbow up. Gets his elbow up. The whole time, people shouting at him, Joe, get ready. Bend your knee. Lean back. Go out. Run, run. Don't get ready for the ball. He's going to throw it. I said, I said okay, put, pull your hands back. His hands go back. Hits the ball. In the midst of all the chaos, dad's voice. He could hear dad's voice. And I'm telling you, you're, you're, you're in a season right now where there's a lot of voices yelling at you. You got to first recognize that. But, but more importantly, you have to recognize the voice of God. And if you're not careful, you're going to listen to all the people to tell you to be afraid and that the world is coming to an end and that you're not going to make it. And the more you listen to that, the more you believe it. You're going to have to train your voice, train your ears to hear the voice of God. When they're all telling you to be afraid, God the Father says, stand up, son. Better straighten that back. You're a man of faith. When the world tells you to cower, daughter, you better stand up. You got to get that. Get some of that strength. Come on. Shoulders back. You got a world to take over. You got you to train your ear because I'm telling you right now more than ever, voices are at competition with the voice of God. You make sure God wins. Make sure God's voice wins. The way you do that, you turn off some of the junk of the world. I'm telling you, turn it off. I, if I could ask anything of you, if I have any credibility in your life as a pastor, please, 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 at least cut your social media down by half. By half. And you can measure it. Go to your phone. It'll show you exactly what it is. It's probably going to say something to make you go, wow. And then just cut it in half. Start there. And maybe replace some of it with the word of God. The final one is this, and I'm done. It's my second close. Do 
what the counselor says, do what the counselor says. So in that conversation, my, pa- my, my counselor asked me, he says, so you, you, you listen, did, what did I say last time? And I said, well, I did this, this, and this. And he says, did you do it? That's what he asked me. Did you do it? Now, if you ever sit down with me, just a heads up, this is a pet peeve of mine. If you ever sit down with me and you want coffee with me and you ask me for advice and I give you advice and you do not do it, it will drive me crazy. You probably won't get another meeting with me because I just don't like wasting time. Because all you told me is, you know better. If you know better, why ask? You see what I'm saying? So much pride in our world. Everybody thinks they know everything for, for sure. So it's like, okay, hold on. If I go to the counselor, the wonderful counselor that we have, I'm going to follow through with what I heard and what I listened to. I'm going to follow. I'm going to do what, 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 what I'm asked of. Because I promise you, we're all probably one step of obedience away from our greatest life. Did you know that? You have a life and plan in your mind, and there's a step of obedience that God wants you to do that is counterintuitive, that everything that comes in your life is going to be, it's going to feel opposite. It's going to feel opposite. And if you just do it, I promise you, he's going to guide you into the right areas. I'm done. I'm going to close with this story. I'm done. Um, When I was in college, I I wanted to uh, learn how to play golf. I felt like I was going to be a pastor. So I felt like, well, if I'm a pastor, apparently that's what pastors do. We play golf. So I'm going to learn how to play golf. And so I went and I started playing golf. And um, what I did when I first started playing golf is I got on a YouTube and I learned how to play golf from YouTube. Eh, There's nothing wrong with YouTube, but I got all my my insight from YouTube. I'm like, I know what I'm doing. I got YouTube. But I I started playing golf and I just was not hitting the ball right. It's just not good. YouTube only got me so far. So I I got a golf coach. And the golf coach sat down with me and he said, this is the first thing he told me to do. He said, hey, put the ball on the tee and then just walk up and hit it so I can watch you. So I instantly thought, what would YouTube do? Okay. So put the ball on the thing. Got up on there. Got my everything right. I'm getting right there. This and that. Pulled back and I swung it. And I swung so hard. I'm telling you what, that ball, I mean, it was powerful. I, I hit it and it went like three and a half feet. It was awesome. <laughs> Topped it and bounced. You know. I look back at my coach and he goes, okay. You know, ever seen like when you go to somebody and you're trying to get like help from someone and they, they realize how hard it's going to be to help you. <laughs> so my counselor sit, looks at me every time. Um, and he goes, uh, he goes, okay. Um, you, you're going to need to slow down, loosen your grip and just, just, just focus on contact. Just look at the ball. And I'm like, that's so counterintuitive. Because I want to hit that ball as far as I possibly can. I'm going to swing as hard as I can. I'm going to squeeze the daylights out of that club. And I'm telling you what, when I hit that ball, I'm not even going to look at it. I'm going to look where it's going because it's going to be at least 450 yards. It's going to be powerful. Y'all don't even know. Tiger Woods, get out the way. And, and, and he said, no, no, it's going to feel counterintuitive. He gets slow down. Loosen your grip. And just focus on the ball. Counterintuitive. Most things that God asks of you and advice he gives you and counsels you in is counterintuitive. He's going to ask you to do things. And the reason it's counterintuitive, here's why. The reason it's counterintuitive is because it's opposite of what the world's telling you to do right now to make it better. And so God's going to tell you're going to, you're going to ask him about a relationship and they're going to, he's going to give you some wisdom inside of his word. And it's going to feel counterintuitive because you're going to think that's not going to work because that's not what Facebook told me. That's not going to work. I saw a movie on Netflix. Sorry, that ain't going to work. 
And he's going to say, no, no, just trust me. If you do this, you're, you, you're going to be successful. Some of you are going to want to do something with your money. And you're going to be like, man, I can't trust God. You tell me give and I'll be given to me. That makes no sense. How do I have more when I give? No, no, no. Be counterintuitive. It's going to work. You'd be successful with your money if you learn to be counterintuitive. I, I, I can't do that with my, my job, my work under the work at work. Work at work on, as unto you, God. You do you know my boss? That's counterintuitive. Sorry, he's saying, yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, if you just do it, do it, do it this way, you're you're going to be successful. The more you squeeze your life, the worse it gets. And if you want God to be your counselor, you're going to have to do it His way. You're going to stop just not just listen. You're going to take a step into doing. And when you do that, God can be your wonderful counselor.